You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 29 West Tolpehawken Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. This past weekend, my family went to the Independent Seaport Museum. Has anybody been? Yeah, a few. What's that? You do have to pay to get in unless there it's their free like seaport festival, which was this weekend. So we went because it was free. Um, but honestly, we did not even get into the seaport museum because we spent all of our time on the water. You can normally rent a boat or a, a, a swan to paddle or a kayak, and it was all free this weekend. So we went out in rowboats to try to try our hand at rowing boats, which is not as easy as it looks. Um, and after we were done with that, we actually went on to, there's a, there's a submarine and a ship there that you can walk through. Both of them were used in war times and are now floating museums, basically, uh, that provide this window into our history of war in, in a fascinating and tangible way. So the submarine uh, Bakuna, which was the SS-319, was launched in 1944, and it completed five wartime patrols in the Pacific Ocean, sinking Japanese ships, and it, w- it was used in the Cold War missions in the Atlantic. And in 1951, it had been converted to include sophisticated radar and torpedo equipment, including nuclear warheads. On that submarine, you can see one of the torpedoes, actually, that was um, like on display, opened up so you could see the inner workings of it. And we talked to several volunteers on the ship, two of whom were retired submariners who served through several tours and talked about their experiences on the ships. So it made this talk that I'm about to give um, all the more tangible. Um, We also walked through the boat that is next to the submarine. The boat is the Olympia, and it was like walking into history 100 years ago. The Olympia is the oldest steel warship afloat in the world, and it served in World War I. And to see what it's like to live on a ship, um, to be in like the close quarters, to touch the guns that were lining the perimeter of the ship, to imagine a six-pound object being launched through the barrel uh, a mile from the ship is how far they could, they could shoot it. It was a it was fascinating experience. Um, so I wanted to start by telling you a little bit about that because someone asked if I could say more about Circle of Hope's affinity for peace. Uh, Like I said earlier, we're in this series of someone asked questions. Uh, The whole point is to highlight the dialogue that holds us together. Um, We're always working out how to to be in a life together with Jesus, even if we don't all agree. And dialogue is really, dialogue in love is really um, key to holding us together. So uh, we've collected a lot of thoughtful questions across the whole church, and each, each of the pastors is focusing on a different question each week. Uh, so I do want to say more about what we think about peace 
and peacemaking. We come from a long line of Anabaptists who believe that God calls us to live a life of peace and nonviolence. The first Anabaptist uh, of the early 16th century had a distinctive role. They were not Catholics or Protestants. They were this third separate force with recognizable beliefs and practices that were unique. The Protestant reformers had pre like prepared the way for the Anabaptists um, with Luther's emphasis on salvation through personal faith, in Christ alone, by grace, as revealed through scripture. But the Anabaptists differed from Luther and Calvin and others who wanted the, reform, the reformation of the medieval church. The Anabaptists wanted restoration of the New Testament church. The reformers were looking to the state to defend the establishment of an official religion. And, and they thought that people should conform to it. The Anabaptists sought no government endorsement. They saw themselves as strangers and pilgrims in this world. And, the, and they rejected any uh, fusion of faith and citizenship. They understood that as followers of Jesus, they had a different citizenship. When the state was baptizing infants into the state religion, they were re-baptizing. That's where Anabaptist comes from. It's not anti-Baptist, it's Anna. They were re-baptizing people as adults um, to declare their citizenship in the kingdom of God. So it's an act of proclaiming allegiance to God apart from the state. And then to not act, uh, to not accept the state's control of religion and personhood was about freedom. The grace of God wasn't administered through the state. It was freedom in Christ. The Lutherans and the Catholics then united against the Anabaptists and they killed them. Many were martyred um, for it in the early decades. So Circle of Hope comes from a long line of believers who understand that freedom doesn't come through the state, but through grace of God. They were peacemakers who followed Jesus in this new radical life. They were reborn, and they demonstrated it through baptism. But there are plenty of people who think differently, right? Christians have complicated these issues across history and generated a lot of disagreement. You could talk to Christians who say vastly opposing things about peace, about baptism, about relating to the state. So how is it that we end up with such diverse opinions about what it means to be a Christian? The topic of peace brings up um, philosophical issues as well as like personal, emotional tensions. And it can create a lot of discomfort. It might even feel like that for you just hearing this topic today. I want to draw us to the teaching of Jesus and his life that modeled what he had to say. 
Um, the questioner asked if I could say more about our affinity for peace. And it's worth saying that this is not about affinity. Um, I'm not harping on the questioner. I actually think it's a really thoughtful question. But I am using that to make an, a, a distinction, I think, because left to our affinities, we're all, we get into all sorts of divisions and disorder. The whole society is dis deformed by violence. So I don't think we just have a natural affinity for peace. And I'm not just talking about peace and war either. Um, I think that we fire at each other all the time. I think that there are plenty of torpedoes launched on 76, for example, every day. When we get cut off on the highway, words and attitudes shoot off. And it's kind of like an underground or underwater kind of way. Like we don't look like we're trying to destroy each other on the surface. But anger and fear can fuel our reactions and our relationships all the time. We're not just naturally peaceful when we feel like someone is getting in the way of what we think we need or want or deserve. And when we feel threatened or, or vulnerable in some way, we want to fight back. We want to kill the threat. We're even wired that way psychologically, like for fight or flight. Biologically, our bodies want to avoid conflict by either fleeing the threat or killing it. So bringing peace into tension uh, and conflict is hard. It goes against our reactions. If you have ever stood in line at the Germantown post office, for example, you know what I'm talking about. Yes, some knowing nods. I'm not alone. <laughs> that, uh, I, I have watched, I've often watched wars brewing at the counter in front of me many times. Uh, but this week it was me, just to be clear. I went to the post office to try to retrieve my husband Steve's lost passport, which the Department of State tells us is there, and the post office tells us is not there. So when the lady told me that she couldn't help me, I was flooded. We're two weeks away from a trip to Greece to visit my sister, and um, I, was, I was ready. I was ready to fight. Unfortunately for me, like desperation and anger manifest as tears. Um, so it was one of those moments when I didn't even bother to see if anyone I knew was behind me. There was a long line. I just like headed out. Anyway, you probably have your own story from this week. I actually heard a few from some of you on the way in. Life is hard and it's full of conflict all the time. And we fire away at each other all the time. Words and attitudes are at war. Uh, our society is full of us versus them mentality and, and fear-based behaviors permeate our society and our hearts. Nelson Mandela said that peace is not just the absence of conflict. Peace is the creation of an environment where all can flourish, 
regardless of race, color, creed, religion, gender, class, caste, or any other social markers of difference. So put that way, you can see that a lot of things perpetuate violence. It takes a lot of work and, and consciousness to make peace. We say in one of our proverbs, Circle of Hope proverbs, in a culture deformed by violence, proactive peacemaking transforms our individual fears and faithfully witnesses to the Prince of Peace like nothing else. In Circle of Hope, when we talk about proactive peacemaking, we're talking about a few things. It's about the teachings of Jesus. He taught us that God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called children of God. Matthew 9, 5, 9 says, um, it will put in another translation, it says, you are blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. Or N.T. Wright's translation, the New Testament for everyone, exclaims, blessings on the peacemakers. You will be called God's children. Jesus was teaching that we will receive blessing. We will discover our place in God's family. We discover who we really are as peacemakers. Paul in Ephesians 2.14 says that Jesus himself is our peace, that Jesus destroys the divides, that which divides us. The hostilities that keep us separate from one another are torn down through Christ. So when we come to Christ, we're coming to God, to peace with God and each other. Jesus says to love your enemies. Matthew 5, 20, 43. You've heard it said, love your, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your Father in heaven. So as a parent, I think, should I teach my child to fight back on the playground? Do I really believe this? Living this out on a daily basis is hard. And violence is at times a very tempting option. Trying to live as a peacemaker because of the reality of Christ, provides so many opportunities to trust God. During Jesus' arrests, when, when Peter defended him with a sword, Jesus admonished him and he said, all who draw the sword will die by the sword. This was a rejection of defensive use of violence. He was teaching us a new way to respond to sin and evil and violence to proclaim the gospel of God's love, to transform hearts and turns enemies into brothers and sisters. But Jesus wasn't just a wise sage teaching these ideas. He lived it out in his current situation. 
Proactive peacemaking is about the actions of Jesus. His nation had been conquered and he was being oppressed by the Roman invaders. His enemies included warfare and torture and oppression. So we can't really turn around his teachings and twist them to mean something abstract or metaphorical because he was living it. And he loved his enemy by laying his life down, not destroying his enemies. Later, Paul wrote, when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. Jesus died to save his enemies. We were turned from enemies to lovers of God through the atonement of his son. The cross brought not defeat, but a new way of loving. Even if our enemies threaten our lives as Jesus' life was taken from him on the cross. And just as Jesus' death was followed by resurrection, the faithfulness even unto death of biblical peacemakers is used to further God's kingdom. But it's not just about physical death, of course. Jesus showed us what it's like to live love in in a self-sacrificial way. He loved people that were considered by many people to be unlovable. Samaritans, Romans, Canaanites, lepers, prostitutes, tax collectors, demon-possessed. Jesus cared for even those who violently sought to stamp out his ministry the Jewish leaders, the Romans. Jesus' powerless, loving ministry manifested the true power of godly love. I think it's hard to see how it all works, especially when you're trying to figure out your conflict with your neighbor. I take heart in the fact that Jesus' disciples didn't didn't get it either. When they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans, Jesus rebuked them. Later, responding to a question from Pilate, Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. He rejected a violent way of establishing his kingdom, but chose instead the way of sacrificial, forgiving love. But before you assume that that means passivity, I want to make sure to say that biblical peacemaking is not passivity in the face of evil, but it is a a vigorous, loving, and nonviolent response to provide a a redemptive solution. Jesus lived his mission of love. And sometimes it was strategically bringing tension the tension of injustice to the surface. Jesus overturning the tables, uh, the money changers in the temple was a key example of this. In Mark 11, 11, it says, it gives us a little window, I think, into his thinking. Because it says that Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This shows that Jesus' cleansing of the temple when he overturned the tables was not this spontaneous temper tantrum. 
It was like a strategic, nonviolent, direct action. He was surfacing the hidden tensions and the ugliness of economic and political oppression. And we're called to follow his example there too. The early church formed this new community where Jesus, not the temple or the nation, was Lord. They had to include Gentiles and others who were not like them. It blew apart their whole way of thinking. Jesus blew apart their whole way of thinking. His followers accepted martyrdom even, rather than using the sword. They chose to give life and not take it. After the cross and resurrection and empowerment by the Holy Spirit, they exper experienced God's love and spread the gospel of peace across the Roman Empire. And I think they were emboldened to this radical life, not just because of the teachings, but because Jesus lived it and died it and rose again. They had a real hope to live out of. Lastly, I think that proactive peacemaking is about living out of personal transformation. It's not just about having lofty ideas or ideals. Um, it's not even just all about large-scale protesting or activism, though I think that's important too. To end the cycle of violence, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our ways of relating and thinking and feeling, we first need a disruption of our own internal processes. The goal is love. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This past week in the Circle of Hope Daily Prayer Wind blog, the writer uh, was leading us through some writings by Kathleen Norris and getting us to reflect on James. James 1, 19 through 27 says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And there's an excerpt from Kathleen's writings that I want to share with you because it's as commonplace as uh, the images in the first song that we sang tonight. Even if you can't relate to this relationship directly, I'm sure you can apply it to somewhere else. She said, once when I was furious with my husband, I found myself wide awake in the middle of the night, brimming with resentment. David had acted irresponsibly and felt thoroughly justified. I felt thoroughly justified in my rage. But as my litany of complaint raced on, moving from my husband to others who had recently wronged me and then to those who had annoyed me in the most distant past, I stopped. Wait a minute, I thought. This could go on forever. What's really happening here? Only after I consciously dismissed my anger for the phantom that it was could I see past the shadows. My husband had not been able to help himself and was, in fact, in a highly fragile state. 
My anger had masked what I felt for him, which was fear. Somewhere in my reading of monastic literature, I had found a description of anger as the seed of compassion. And I felt this keenly on that night. What my husband needed most was hospitality, an open ear. I had to reject my feelings of hurt and anger, which were self-indulgent under the circumstances. I needed to clear my vision. And even as I recognize the psychology involved in this change of perspective, I have to admit its theological import. If anger had imprisoned me within myself, only love could set me free. The love that is the gift of a merciful God. I think she demonstrates so beautifully some of the internal work that we need to do in order to be peacemakers. How can we act for peace in the world if we allow the cycles of violence and anger to fuel us and our relationships? It's worth noting that people that have changed the world through nonviolence have received tons of training and prayer and preparation. To be able to absorb violence and not give it back takes a lot of internal work. It's not just about having lofty ideas and ideals. It's about being transformed by the love of Christ in the most intimate ways, in the most intimate relationships, so that we can continue to work it out and create that environment that Nelson Mandela was talking about. Anger can capture us and dull our true selves. It separates us from others and encourages us to protect ourselves and blame. Staying aware of it, however, can lead us to deep places where we need to heal and from which we need to act. So in conclusion, God calls us to a life of peace and nonviolence. I think we actively promote the pursuit of peace when we teach conflict resolution skills and peacemaking strategies, when we encourage others to courageously choose peace over violence and demonstrate it ourselves, when we address systemic injustices that lead to violence, when we can have dialogue of love with those we disagree with or who disagree with us, and we build relationships across cultural and racial and ethnic divides and any other categories. As the church, I think we are building resilience and responding to psychological and spiritual and interpersonal needs as Jesus is meeting us in those vulnerable places. Again, so that we can be transformed to be proactive peacemakers in the world. Our ongoing relationship with Jesus as Lord and our movement toward expressing our true selves is much more important than our imperfect behavior. There's no way we could get it all right. We live in a culture steeped of violence. But hoping to keep moving and not get stuck in condemnation, we help each other along. And we keep working out what it means to live out this love. 
Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for making a way to reconcile us with you and with each other. Keep leading us into your freedom so that we can live that life and keep creating an environment where the hostilities that would divide us are broken down and where we, we work to make peace in the midst of so much violence. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.